Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. It's a wondrous thing to be able to meet together as a family. On a day when most of the world has lost its mind, we are actually closer to the mind of Christ than we've ever been. Today is Christmas morning, 2022, and we will be not be ending the date that way much longer. We are quickly nearing the close of this year. Such incredible work has happened in our midst. This morning, though, we would like to reflect on a few facets of our ministry. In this ministry, we have a very long history, a solid tradition of doing very uniform denominational Christmas services. That's us, yeah. Yeah, you know that's not true. However, this morning, in light of our president's inspirational Christmas address regarding the birth of an unnamed, unspecified child and the unity that Christians, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and atheists should all feel during this auspicious season, we felt the need to preach more directly about the birth the incarnation of the miraculous Son of God, who is named Yeshua. The one that we know intimately and is not unspecified to us, but the one we cling to and call King Jesus. Come on, that same Yeshua that came as a first century rabbi, who's not universally accepted by Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists, but instead he came bringing a sword and a clear dividing line against those who are enemies of God, those that refuse to recognize the one and only divine son. Y'all ready for the title of today's sermon? The title of today's sermon is, Do Not Keep Christ in Christmas. So as we get going, we'd like to look at the introduction of the Son of God. I mean, the incarnate word himself. The opening lines of Apostle John's gospel begin like this in John 1.14 in his New Testament law. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Not that we were unable to specify his glory, that we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look, we hear words around this time of year like the incarnation, and you either feel like you're in just a special holiday service or in some seminary class. Think about what that actually means. The Word of God became living, breathing flesh. Everything that you're holding in your hands, that you love, that you cling to, that has transformed your life, Came into the world in the form of a man. This is beyond unique. This is a special occurrence in all of history. There is nothing like it. And we stand in a day when we cannot say his name on the day that we are supposed to celebrate his existence. No, today we say he is unique. He is the one and only. Nothing else comes close to what he is. There are no counterfeits we will accept. His name is Jesus Christ. His glory is tangible. It is visible to us. We see the glory that came into the world because it has affected our hearts. Church, for you, do you believe in an unnamed, unspecified child, a star that should warm your heart along with Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims? Do you know his name, church? What is that name? Jesus! 
Saints, we do know his name. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the living God walking on the earth before mankind. Look, the apostle John, he wrote to us in the opening lines of his New Testament law, of his gospel. He also wrote to us in a Newer Testament writing about this very subject, giving us further insight. Come on, that we were just in John chapter 1. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1 together. We're going to begin in the first few verses of this to see how the Apostle John gives further insight into the exact same topic of the incarnate Christ. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, That which was from the beginning... You know, the word that was there in the beginning with God and was God, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Well, how is that possible, church? It's because the word of God became manifest in the flesh. It was incarnate in the flesh concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. It came to earth. We've seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Can somebody say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah! That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Hey, now let's not get missed, let's not miss the point of today because we have heard it. The word of life was made manifest and we are able to see it. We are able to touch it. We are able to feel it. And this is what the Apostle John is testifying to in this passage. It wasn't just that life was made manifest in some random kind of way. It was actually made manifest. It became incarnate in the personage of Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, not some unnamed, unspecified child who some may think was special. He came to the earth. It wasn't just manifested in generalities, church. The word of God was made manifest to us. The word of God, the very living, breathing testimony of God came alive inside of us. And therefore, what we've seen, what we've heard, we now proclaim. That's what the Apostle John is saying here. So that, somebody say, so that. So that that there's fellowship, one with another. But that ultimately, the fellowship is about the Father and His Son and us becoming one with them. Isn't that an amazing testimony today, church? Assad, has he been manifest to you? Habibi, has he been manifest to you? Nolan Hewitt, has he manifest in your life? Church, is there anyone like the one and only Son of God? Are you afraid to speak his name? We are unashamed of who Christ is. And we will declare it and have declared it all over the earth. The Apostle John is a unique figure. He gave us one witness. Somebody say, one witness. One witness. In his Gospel of John. He also gave us a second witness in his Epistle of John. Does anybody know a third book that John wrote? Revelation. See, the Apostle John wrote a New Testament law, a writings, and a prophet. He gave us three unique witnesses to the named, explicit Son of God declaring who He is so that He could never be unspecified again. 
See, he wanted you to know with perfect clarity the mysteries of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Church, are you glad he has the keys to death and Hades? He is our deliverance. His resurrection and incarnation were the miracles that rocked the world all the way to us. There is none like him. His title is various. It is vast because it is describing his character. He is both the one who died and lived and is called the living one, the son of David. The first and the very last. Saints, this is the last book of our Bible. John wants you to understand that he is no ordinary son, that he is the author of life, that he is the one who created the world in Genesis and the last that is showing you the culmination of the ages in Revelation. This truth was declared from the rooftops and made it as far as us Gentiles so many thousands of miles away. We know the name that we are clinging to. We've made up our mind we will declare the name that we are clinging to. He is our living one. Look at how the text continues in verse 19. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are yet to take place. John is yet again giving a threefold witness of the things that he has seen, the things that are going on in his day, and the things that are still yet to come even compared with our day. Now, as Pastor Judah was talking about, we have the preeminence of Christ. We have him who was the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the one that you can say that the entirety of all of creation smiles at because of who he is. He was there in the beginning. He will resolve and be the victorious king over all in the end. But what we want to talk to you today about is uh, the time in between the first and the last. That time that we are in now, we want to talk to you about the times between the initial magnificent incarnation and the ultimate fulfillment of his incarnation as a physical kingdom here on this earth. I mean, we're going to do it on Christmas Day, the day that we're celebrating the Messiah's entrance into the world. But to do that, we need to take a brief aside from the Apostle John. We're going to go to the writings, and we're going to survey of what Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth has to say about this. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. While you're turning there, I want to make sure that you caught something Pastor said. We want to speak to you about the time between the initial appearance of Christ and then the incarnation of his physical kingdom. Were you waiting to be raptured from your responsibility in this house? No, are you awaiting the kingdom of heaven brought to earth in one unified son of David sitting on a throne? Yes. See, we are fighting for, longing for, looking for a very real physical kingdom that will be incarnate upon this earth. But we have a long road between where we're at right now and reaching that goal. See, the Apostle Paul understood what the original apostles, the 12, those that were chosen to testify to the life of Jesus, declared from the heavens. And he wrote instructions to us about how we might live between the reality of Jesus' incarnation and the incarnation of the kingdom of God manifest on earth. 
Beginning in verse 1, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? I love the sarcastic attitude that the scripture has. The apostle Paul understood that he was ordained by God. He was a son of God and he was not ashamed to preach his name as specified Jesus Christ. Amen. Or do we need uh, some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Written on our hearts to be known and read by all. This is a beautiful picture of a father in the faith. This is sonship and a relationship where he's saying, my qualification is you. But that's not where it stops. As we move to verse 3, he says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Saints, by no means is this an unfamiliar passage to many of you. This house is a house of fathers and sons. We know what it is to have living letters. None of us are dependent on a doctorate or the approval of a seminary. Our proof is sitting in this room, and it is you. But what many of you may not have noticed is the connection that Paul makes about these men, that the letter of their lives are a letter both from Paul and from Christ himself. Let's reread verse 3 one more time. Did you catch that? These men are a letter from both Paul and from Christ himself. Verse 3 says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Why do you need a letter of recommendation? You are asking for a letter of recommendation because the person who you are trying to reach out to does not know you. You need the help of getting to know you through the verification of a recommendation. See, it's a wonderful thing that Christ is incarnate. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. The word actually manifest and made flesh. But that's not where Christ is, was to stop. The point of the gospel, the very hope of the gospel, is actually Christ inside of you. Jesus is the written word, incarnate. In other words, it was made flesh. You are Christ made flesh on the earth like a letter that can be read by the whole world. Amen. <laughs> It's okay, we're going we're gonna to get it this morning. You are Christ made flesh on the earth like a letter. Your life is a letter written by Christ, delivered by us. See, church, the mystery of the gospel is not just the revelation of the Messiah, but the revelation of the Messiah through you. That's an amazingly different thing than what you're hearing anywhere else. This mystery is that it's revealed in you, that it's revealed through you. In fact, we started the sermon today in John chapter 1, verse 14. But when you examine the context of this verse, the magnitude of this mystery begins to be revealed. Let's go back to John chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Saints, we must realize something this morning. 2,000 years of preaching and teaching has conditioned us to accept the idea 
that we have received Christ, and then that is the end of the goal. See, what you just heard Paul speaking of in Corinthians was that men who had believed, who had received Christ, they did not stop at receiving him. They now became a letter from Christ himself. Saints, you did receive him. You did believe in him. And he gave you the right to become a son of God, to become a letter just like he was to the rest of the world. Their proclamation in the gospel is not simply about the son of God. I'm going to say that again. The proclamation of the gospel is not just about the Son of God. It is about you being the sons of God on the earth. As extraordinary as it is, as unique and amazing as it is, that Christ was indeed the Word of God made flesh. That is not even 1% of the incarnation story. That story that we should celebrate, proclaim, live, shout from the rooftops. 1% of it is that he, the Son of God, became flesh. The rest of the story is about men who take the word of God, who've been given the right to become sons of God themselves in your flesh. Saints, in a manner of speaking, the incarnation has been given to you. In contrast with the perfect Son of God, we as imperfect sons of God, well, we must guard what has been given to us. We must grow what has been deposited in us. So that we can give it to the world in the same manner that he did. Come on now, the perfect son of God set the example and we as imperfect sons are doing the same. Look at how the apostle John connects this in his newer testament writing. We have a slide for you because we want you to see it. 1 John 4 and verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Are you ready to know why you can have confidence for the day of judgment? Because as he is, as he is, so also are we somewhere in the sweet by and by. As he is, so also are we in this world. Come on, are you hearing it yet, church? As he is. He is the, in, the word incarnate. He is the word made flesh. He is the living one from Revelation. He is the one who is dead and is now alive. He is the one and only hope of this world. Can somebody say a better amen to that? So also are we in this world. So that means, are you ready for it? We are the incarnation of the word in this world. We are the word made flesh, tangible in the manifest nature. We are the living ones, the excellent ones. We are the ones who were dead and now are alive. We are the one and only hope in this world. Man, what a different understanding of the incarnation that we're talking about. Because what he is... Everything that we can talk about for our Messiah, the Savior, Yeshua, Jesus, should be said about us as well. Because we are also sons of God. What an incredible reality. Somebody say reality. Reality. That's a reality because as he is, so also are we in this world. The world outside these four walls does not universally accept Christ. The world outside these four walls does not universally even be willing to take his name on their lips. 
But in this house, we comprehend, we celebrate, and we converse about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Universally, we comprehend, we celebrate, and we converse about the church being collectively the hope of the world. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. But once again, we want to visit a New Testament writing to understand the extent to which Christ in us personally is the hope of the world. You know that you're the body of Messiah. You know that as a group, we are the bride of Christ. What we want you to understand this morning is the extent to which the Bible displays you as the incarnation of God's word and the extension of Christ on the earth as the Son of God in the moment. We're going to go to Colossians 1, picking up in verse 24 together. There. Everybody turn there for this one with us. You with me in the back, Marlon? You there? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Christ is unique in all of the world. We boldly declare what he has done. We preach from rooftops that he did all what no other man could do. That's true, and yet it is not. The scripture just said that he didn't do all. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? We say we, he did what no other man can do, except he spent his life empowering other men to do exactly what he did and even greater things. Christ appointed men who would fill up what was lacking in his sacrifice as other incarnate sons of God on the earth. Paul is Christ incarnate to this church. Consider what he is saying and stop thinking about the body and think about the man. He's saying, I am personally filling up what is lacking in the sacrifice, the sufferings, the afflictions for the sake of the church. He is an embodiment of Christ laying down his life for the sake of the salvation of these men. Saints, this is demonstrably true of Paul individually, not just in this passage, but in many others. But we want you to engage with us as you see what he goes on to say about each one of you, each one of us. Look at verse 25 together. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Did you catch that? To make the word of God fully known, this is a process that this is explaining here. The word of God incarnate inside of Paul was literally for you. In other words, for the church of Colossus and all that the would read it in the ages that are later to come, including us, but first of all, it was written to the church full of people that he was speaking with. Paul was given something. He guarded it. He caused it to grow. And then he gave it to the world that the word of God might be fully known even as the word of God was incarnate inside of Paul. And Paul was the incarnate word to those that they might fully know. Part of the mystery is that the word of God is made fully known through your actions. Yeah. 
The word of God becoming flesh is made fully known inside of you through your actions. Saints, you got to understand that the incarnation of Christ cannot be fully known. The word of God cannot be fully known without Christ being made incarnate inside of you. The word has become flesh by being manifest inside of you. Come on. You are the word of God made flesh. You are the revelation of the mysteries hidden for ages. It is actually demonstrable in your life. See, Messiah is appearing to all mankind every single day through you. Through your actions, you are the incarnate Christ that people will see. The mysteries of God are yours. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. The mysteries of God are yours. Didn't you hear that from Pastor Eric? A word, a fresh word from the Lord that is saying, I've given this house mysteries. He's given the mysteries of God. They are yours and they are made known through you. Let's say it this way, church. You are the hope of the world. Yeah, I need to say it again. For about 20% of you, you understood it intellectually. And an even smaller percentage actually got that in your heart. Church, you are the hope of the world. Let's look how this passage continues in verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Oh, come on, saints. You have to interact with this for a moment. Is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the hope of the world? No, no, no. Is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the hope of the world, Keith Phillips? As much as he is the hope of the world, you are the hope of the world. The scripture doesn't say that Jesus being incarnated on a specific day and having a ministry is the hope of every living being. It says the hope of glory is Christ inside of you. You want to preach a salvation message? You want to preach a salvation story? Well, it's about the incarnate son of God who has been incarnated inside of you. There is no other way we see the world born again. What Paul is saying here is that the hope of glory, the aim of the gospel, the teleos of the word is that Christ might be made flesh inside of us. This is, of course, a personal hope for glory, but it is so much more than that. It is the hope of glory for everyone who will see you, see your actions, watch your way of life, see Christ alive inside of you, vis-a-vis the manifestation of his word in your actions. Your hope of glory has become their hope of glory. What he gave you is now an extension to the rest of the world. You are his body on the earth. Must understand the scripture. It does not say that Christ is the hope of glory. Although we set our hopes, our faith in Jesus Christ, the world will not be saved through Jesus Christ if he is not inside of you. But praise God, you are the sons of God. We know you. 
We know every family in this room. I don't care how you feel in a particular day, Jaron. You are a son of God who is rising in this house. This is a house filled with imperfect sons of God. But we have received something that we are guarding, that we are growing, and that we will give to the world. We are in process of extending Yahweh's salvation. What was given to us will be made manifest to them. And then they will manifest it to the world even further. The the word itself has been manifested to us for the purpose of us guarding and growing the things that have been given until Christ is fully known. Or another way to say it, fully mature, growing up into Christ who is the head. Or another way to say it, mysteries that have been long shut up are now revealed through you. See, the world was never meant to learn about Christ from reading the word alone. They were meant to see it tabernacled in you. Church, isn't it an amazing revelation and truth today for us to realize it's not just that Christ is the hope of glory, but it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory? Look, on this Christmas morning, we can uh, agree with the denominational world at large. Yes. We need to keep Christ in Christmas. But the problem is that they've confined Christ's incarnation to be only within Christmas. Like a box. Let's just put him right here in this nice, tidy box that we can control. See, we're looking for the incarnation of Christ to be seen in us all year long. Every single day, in every nation that we go to, through each and every one of us. Christy and I were having a discussion yesterday morning. We woke up and we're like, I don't know if it feels like Christmas today. We're at Christmas Eve, and I'm not sure that it feels like Christmas. And we were talking about how great that that is. We've not diminished what a Christmas day is like. I said, do you realize why it's this way? You know why it doesn't feel like Christmas? Because when we were children, you had to do a bunch of extra special, not normal stuff on Christmas Day to make it feel special. We haven't diminished Christmas Day We've just elevated every other day in our life to be of equal value because God is in us and we are walking in what he's saying. Not diminishing Christmas. We're just elevating the other 364 days in the year. Oh, every day is Christmas in this house because we have the word of God made incarnate and we are the incarnation of that word word to this entire world. In fact, to that end, we would like to remind you of a few things that are often forgotten. For instance, the Latin phrase, Christmas. Has anybody really considered what that actually means as much as we don't prefer Latin in this house? Christ Mass, as in Christ Assembly, or the Mass of Little Christ who are gathered together in a day celebrating the Christ. Or perhaps the Church of Antioch in Acts 11.26, where we picked up the name Christians, which very literally means little Christ. Saints, you can do this in German and so many other languages. During the Protestant Reformation, they codified a written language to be able to write scripture. And to say Christian is literally to say, I am Christ. I think I know why we're uncomfortable with that. 
See, the world at large that likes to proclaim they're Christian doesn't want to live anything like Christ. But in this house, we recognize we are Christ. His word is incarnate inside of us. We are imperfect. He is perfect, but we're becoming more like him every single day. See, what has equipped us with from his word, from this body, from this fellowship, it is the hope of the world. It doesn't matter where we go, what nation, what language, what ministry or minister we're talking to. What you have is what they need. The hope of glory is Christ in you. This is not about rapture. It's not about escapism. It's not about a day that the word became flesh. This is a celebration of the day that the word became flesh for all who would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. We must move beyond simply celebrating a historic event. But the ever-present, ongoing incarnation of the word in us on a daily basis. Look, and you, LCM, you believing son of God, being the incarnation of the word of God to the world at large. The apostle Paul goes on to expound upon the incarnation itself. But as we have received it, and the way that we guard, grow, and give what he has presented to us. Look at verse 28 together. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, church, we proclaim, we warn, we teach with all wisdom. Why? So that we can present the hope of glory. Make it fully known, fully formed, fully mature as Christ inside of them. See, maturity in Christ is to take what you've been given. You guard it, you grow it, you give it, making others fully mature as an incarnation of Christ in their lives. Man, that is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God's incarnation is really about. We're about to move to verse 29. Verse 29 is one of those passages that is universally quoted out of context. So this is going to be fun this morning. We're going to read the first four words. For this I toil. What on earth is Paul speaking about? He's talking about his evangelism campaign. He's talking about his church bulletins. He is toiling for the fullest manifestation of Christ incarnate inside of the body of believers. Saints, the things that we can toil for, the things that this season is often marked by, is toil for all of the wrong reasons. See, it is a wondrous and special thing to celebrate that Jesus Christ was incarnated. And we know his name. But it is entirely worthless if that incarnation doesn't come into us and then into the world. See, Paul is toiling to see Christ in himself personally. You heard that in the beginning. He is trying to fill up what is lacking for the benefit of others. And he is suffering like Christ did. But he is also toiling to see Christ in them fully formed. And more than that, for Christ fully formed in them to preach, teach, admonish, and reach the rest of the world with all wisdom that comes from the mind of Christ. You know the remainder of this verse that we're about to read. But again, how many times this has been quoted completely out of context is a bit silly. Paul is toiling to see the incarnation of Christ fully matured in each and every person as they become the incarnation of the word themselves. We're going to read verse 29 in its entirety now. For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy. Whose energy? (laughs) His energy. That he powerfully works within me. Church, this is the very function of the incarnation of the word. He is at work within me. And I am an incarnation of the word of God. I am an imperfect version of this, but there is something that is at work. And the more that I am at work, the more that that incarnation becomes manifest in everything I do. This church is the hope of glory. This is Christ in you. This is the word of God becoming alive. I'm going to take it. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to grow it. And then I'm going to give it so that it impacts your life. And then what do we do together? Then we become the incarnation of God's word. Also imperfect. But we're going to guard it. What That which we've received. We're going to grow it and we're going to give that as well. Why? Because we are the hope of glory. We are the answer to the world's problems. So let's just say it plainly this morning. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter your current level of confidence in the circumstances that you're engaging in. They don't matter at all when you realize that you are the hope of glory. That you are the incarnation of the word here on this earth as God is perfecting us together. Saints, what would change in your day? What would change in your perception of reality? If instead of waking up and thinking through the things that you failed to get right yesterday, you looked in the mirror and began to declare what the scripture already says is true. I am Christ on the earth and his word is alive in me. I don't think we would hang our heads. I don't think we would indulge in low living. I don't think we would be scared to speak to someone that we believe needs the gospel desperately. See, if you recognize that you are Jesus Christ in your workplace... That you are Jesus Christ when you interact with your lost family later today. Well, there ought to be no hesitation. The living, breathing word of God lives in you. Saints, this sermon is going to come to a conclusion back in the writings of the Apostle John. But before we transition, we would like to look at Paul's writings to his son Timothy regarding his newfound identity. His claim to the righteousness in Christ Jesus that is his. And Timothy as the hope of glory. And you as the hope of glory. So we're going to pick up in 1 Timothy 3 verse 14. It says this. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you. So that if I delay. You may know how one ought to behave. Not just believe. But how you're going to behave in the household of God. Which is the church of the living God. A pillar and a buttress or a foundation of the very truth itself. You gotta love that ESV. That buttress. Pillar and buttress. Church, this is how we're to behave. Not just what we're supposed to believe or think about, how we behave because we are Christ on earth. We are Christ incarnate to the world. These are the actions, did you hear it? Of the household of God, in the family of God, because you are the family of God. The incarnation of Christ is what the foundation of truth is. Look at what verse 16 goes on to say. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Here it is again, a mystery that we've been entrusted with. A mystery that we are supposed to steward and do something with. And listen to the mystery. Are you ready for it? This He was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit. 
seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is one of the times where Paul, in this case speaking to Timothy, uses what we would call a doxology. He is giving a phrase, what would become a song in many times, of glory, glorifying God himself. This is a summation of all that we can glorify God about. Giving glory for the mystery that is revealed. You get in six statements, basically a summation of Christ's incarnation here on the world. And now it's been revealed to us. Okay. Does everybody say amen to that? We get that. Manifested in the flesh. That's what we've been talking about. You can see each of these in the life of Christ. But anything that we're going to talk about in the life of Christ is also true in your life. Okay, let's read this together now as a doxology of the word being incarnate inside of us. We are the manifestation of the word of God in the flesh. We have been vindicated by the spirit. We are seen by the angels even as they long to look into the perfection of these imperfect sons that are becoming exactly like the son of God. We are the proclamation of the word among the nations. We proclaim it wholeheartedly everywhere that we go. We are how the word is believed on in the world. We don't need better sermons. We need sons who are the incarnation of God and the incarnation of the word itself. That's what people believe. That's when they see it inside of a man like Cody Stevens. Then they begin to believe what the word of God says because they see it. It's been made flesh. And we will be taken up in the full glory of the resurrection as the body of Christ but even until then, we're practicing it every day in full view of the world that God has come into us and we are giving that to the world. See, he did it perfectly. We're doing it imperfectly. Can somebody say amen to that? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. But you know what we're doing? We're guarding it. We're causing it to grow inside of our own lives and we're going to give it. Church, this principle of what is said about Christ is also said about us. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Doesn't Matthew 5 say that you are the light of the world? John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What does he instruct us to do? Be good shepherds and shepherd. He is the head of the body, but we are the body itself growing up from an imperfect state into the same perfected state that he is in, but the head that is located in the heavens, the body is on earth. What he is, as he is, so also are we in this world, is what 1 John 4 says. The Bible boldly declares salvation, and salvation in several forms. One, which we are most familiar with in our setting and our climate, our personal salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible also declares a corporate salvation, the bride, the body of Christ, one believing unit, starting with Israel and us Gentiles getting grafted in. But if the corporate body is going to be made up appropriately, if each of its cells are going to function as they are intended to, with nothing malignant, then each cell needs to understand the extent to which you are Christ as an individual. Your pastoring of your home, the husband that you are to your wife, 
Would it grow leaps and bounds if you learned to wake up in the morning and say, I am Christ to my family? Would your parenting grow if you learned to wake up in the morning and say, I am Christ to my children? See, everything that is true of Jesus has been given to us when he gave us the right to become sons of God. See, we take that to be a title that just means you're born again. It means you've been given the right to be what Jesus is on the earth. We're going to move to Paul's second letter to Timothy as we come to a rapid closing. Picking up in the second chapter in the first verse. Speaking to his son, he says, You then, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Saints, I hope at this point you're understanding this is not just a transmission of knowledge. This is a transmission of Christ himself, a transmission of the hope of glory. See, Timothy understood his identity, and it's how he was able to pastor what was entrusted to him. He was Christ to what was given. But he is also learning to pick reliable men who will learn and be able to teach others as well. Timothy has guarded He has grown the deposit that was given to him. Now he's ready to give it to the world. LCM, we want to tell you what you have been given is real. It is good, it is righteous, and it is the answer to the world's problems. You, like Timothy, must guard it, grow what has been given, and be able to transmit it to those that are around you because you are Christ to the world. Verse 3 says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. When you're considering this for a moment, could Jesus do anything outside of what the Father directed him to do? No, No, so like a good soldier, he obeyed his Father to the T. Did he compete according to the rules, the law of God, explicitly how God had commanded it? Yes. So we, in the same way, must do what he has done, and we, like the hardworking farmer, will be the first to reap the rewards of it. Verse 7 says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul is promising that his son will fully know, will fully possess will be fully matured as Christ is formed in him and in his hearers. That he will possess the full knowledge of it as he guards it, grows it, and continues to transmit it. Saints, in this house, we must reflect on this subject. We must think over what Christ has entrusted to us, how the world should regard us, but most importantly, how you should regard yourself. How you should identify yourself as a father, As a husband, as a man, anywhere that you walk into the room, it's like Christ walking in the room and your own insecurity be damned. You are now a risen son. Look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember that model that has been set. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Ah, but praise God, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus 
with eternal glory, that same glory that can be seen. See, once again, Paul gives his life as a letter, as a document. You can see his suffering as Christ is in him for the world at large. He even says, I endure everything. Everything. I actually endure everything that I have to endure for the sake of the elect so that they would get to experience, possess that same formation of Christ inside of them that has already taken place inside of me. See, you, church, are the hope of glory. And you, church, have been entrusted with the mysteries of the gospel. If you can get anything that we're saying today, it's that you have been given the mysteries of the gospel. Now it's up to us to stand up and live Come like on. it. To show that we are, in fact, the incarnation of the word. There is something that is going on inside of us. And we are now imperfect as we may be. But we do not wait until perfection is seen in us before we actually act. The process of doing this, of guarding it, of growing it, of giving it, is what perfects you in it. You can't wait until you're perfected to do it's by doing that you are perfected in this. Everywhere we go in the world, while imperfect, Christ in us is the perfect cure. It doesn't matter what religion or culture or background, Christ in us is the hope of glory, not only for us, but it's the hope of glory for them. It doesn't matter anywhere in the world that we go as a church. It doesn't matter the ministry or the ministers that we're talking to. Christ in us and the mysteries revealed to us are what will make the word fully known to them. Church, you are the incarnation of Christ no matter where you are. And that truth can never be overcome. Thanks the way that you feel. Momentary failure. Doubt, unbelief, or a dead-to-alive process. See, these things do not uproot the spiritual reality that you are Christ on the earth. We are imperfect, unlike the perfect Son of God. But the reality is we have been made to Christ and we are guarding it. We are growing it. And in this house, we are giving it to the nations. You cannot and will not be overcome. When we suffer what we do, when we experience trouble with our children, when we experience the things that this body has gone through, it is only serving to make the families of this house more like Christ every year that goes by. You cannot be beaten and you cannot be broken. You've been tabernacled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God into the flesh of Christ who was destroyed and raised again immortal. We're going to close with you in 1 John 5, verse 4, in a passage that many are familiar with, but that have not interacted with on this kind of basis. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Saints, when we hear this, we often think that Christ overcomes the world and the fact that we're born with him, he just brings us along with him. 
like his amazing work, his conquering faith, that is just going to carry us where we're going. On the other end of the spectrum, sometimes we think, well, he did something for me then, and now I have to work hard enough to overcome the world. Both of those ends of the spectrum are stupid. Everyone who is born as in a new creation, as incarnate on the earth as Christ, overcomes the world in the same way that he did. Amen. So what he has begun to tabernacle inside of you, to make you the incarnate word of God, it does overcome the world. An apple doesn't have to try to be an apple. It's what it does. To overcome something means that it is being resisted, fought against, that everything is trying to stop it, but it fails anyway because Ubong is born of God. Saints, the world is going to try to break you. And they may succeed many times. But we are Christ, the ones that are resurrected, the dead and now the living one. And this is the victory that has, that has overcome the world, That's right. our faith. We stand in the spiritual reality of victory prior to seeing it sweep across the earth. We are Christ on the earth. We are the kingdom of God on earth. We are the testimony to the world at large that Christ has won and we are in him. When we stare down daunting tasks, when we look at things that are coming up in the next year and two years that this body will accomplish, you need to remember that he has already overcome and you are in Christ. You are the hope of glory. We know the name of, the, of God's Son, and we are not ashamed to declare it because he has made us into sons of God. We celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ today and every other day because his word has been incarnated inside of us. We have been born of God, not by our will, not by our choosing, but by his will. And we will overcome the world. Church, we will not keep Christ in Christmas only. We're going to look to have that incarnation of Christ's word inside of us every single day, all year long, in every nation, through each and every one of us. We're not looking for a Christmas gift. We're looking to be the gift of the incarnate Christ to this world. We're going to be talking about a perpetual incarnation that we see it every single day. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith that though we may be imperfect now, his perfect word is at work in us. And we're going to guard it. We're going to grow it. We're going to keep giving it until we see his kingdom come upon this earth. The word being made flesh is made flesh every time that you and I do the will of the Lord. Can somebody say amen in this house? Stand to your feet. We're standing together in victory today. Come across the aisles towards the center. We want you guys to join together. We're going to pray together in a celebratory, victorious kind of attitude today. So as we begin to pray standing with our families side by side. Our response to this is we're going to walk out in the new identity that we have, growing in the full knowledge of it, the full maturity of it. Brandon is the hope of glory. Yeah.
Josiah Spites is the hope of glory. Spencer and Timo are the hope of glory. Rick Lawhon is the answer to the world's problems. We're no longer going to devalue ourselves or devalue the house that God has given us. That's a good word. We may be beaten, but we will never be broken. We will carry this to the ends of the earth, and we will build families exactly like this one everywhere that we go. Is your joined hands, raise them together with us. Mighty one, we thank you for this house. We thank you for our family that is here. We thank you that we are the body of Christ, that you in us is the hope of glory, and that we are the answer to the nation's problems. We say right now, let a spirit of courage be stirred up among us. But we desire to know your plan and to have the faith to stare it down and say, it will be done by God. You have overcome the world and we are inside of you. We ask that your spirit would well up in each of the men in this room. Lord, that as an ambassador of you, they might prophesy in their own homes. That they might prophesy in their workplaces. That they might speak your words ever they go as an ambassador of you. Father, we know that you have given us the right to be your sons. Lord, we choose to stand up in that great and high calling. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah.